Kia ora and marangamai, rise and shine. It is just on nine o'clock. This is the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Today I want to focus on the Prime Minister's response to the Human Rights Commission's decision to launch an inquiry into what it says are breaches of the Human Rights Act by the government and previous governments because of a failure to deal with housing affordability and the current housing affordability crisis. Um, Jacinda Ardern uh, says that uh, she doesn't need a new report, she knows it's a crisis, and that she is pulling all the levers to deal with this crisis. I just wanted to uh, dig down through those uh, statements and look to see whether the government is actually pulling all the levers on policy, and whether it really is treating our housing situation as a crisis. Remember, the Prime Minister called it a crisis in 2017, and it's demonstrably significantly worse than that now. I'd actually say it's no longer a crisis. It's a catastrophe, a home ownership and rental affordability catastrophe. And the government is not treating it in the same way that the last, in fact, the first Labour-led government treated housing uh, in the wake of the Great Depression and the Second World War. And you could also say national governments did in the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s. So, just to summarise here on why I think the government is not pulling all the levers. Firstly, it's simply not building at the same rate that those post-war governments did, both Labour and National. Between about 1935 and 1980, New Zealand built around 8 to 10 new houses per thousand head of population each year. Since 1980, we've ranged somewhere between 4 and 6 houses per thousand head of population. It's only in the last year that we've managed to get that building rate up to around 8 per thousand head of population, well below where it was for a series of years, literally 30 years, through the 50s, 60s and 70s. So the government is not building at a rate that would suggest it is treating the crisis as a crisis, and at least in the same way that the first Labour government did under Michael Joseph Savage, who the Prime Minister has a picture of in her office. Secondly, when the Prime Minister says she is pulling all the levers, clearly she is not, because she ruled out ever pulling one of those levers, a capital gains tax, which was a core part of the Labour proposal going into the 2017 election. She, of course, announced in 2019, after the tax working group and after being blocked by New Zealand First, that she would never bring in a capital gains tax in her political lifetime. She also ruled out a wealth tax in this current term in the campaign for the 2020 election and has repeatedly ruled out land taxes and inheritance taxes, in large part because focus grouping and some polling shows that median voters do not want anything to touch the tax-free capital gains they have enjoyed since the late 1980s. It's worth remembering that there is, of course, a massive tax advantage for people living in their own homes and using the equity in their own homes to buy other homes. Now, the government, of course, has is in the process of removing 
interest costs as a tax-deductible expense for landlords, but that's not the case for owner-occupiers. And the capital gains tax, beyond 10 years now, uh, is is still exempt from um, capital gains tax, so the capital gains on those properties. Now, the reason this is important, and there is a clear advantage for uh, home uh, homeowners leveraging up and making capital gains on their houses and other houses they own, is that in 1989, uh, the government effectively created home ownership as a special financial investment class. Because up until then, uh, there was there was actually a subsidy for saving in pensions. So it made more sense to put your savings into a pension than it did into your house. That um, subsidy was removed in the aim of uh, changing the tax system to make it broad-based and low-rate. Uh, that was successful in creating a broad-based low-rate tax system for income and for spending, but not for wealth. They effectively forgot to do the capital gains tax, which they had actually talked about when they were making this big tax change in 1989. And that basic change in the tax landscape um, remains in place. And the Prime Minister, while she's still Prime Minister and she's only 40 or so, is, um, is not going to change. So she's not pulling that lever. Secondly, the government allowed the Reserve Bank last year in the middle of COVID to announce a quantitative easing program. This is money printing to buy government bonds. This is a practice central banks around the world have used for the last decade. And it effectively uses rising wealth of assets to boost the economy because they, central banks, have uh, once they've got interest rates down to zero, have to print money to boost the wealth of um, asset holders uh, to try and stimulate the economy. And it's clear from overseas evidence that this increases inequality and in particular pumps up the value of house prices. So we saw a 30% increase in house prices since March last year. That was also partly because the government allowed the Reserve Bank to remove LVR restrictions for most of last year. They've now been reimposed after it became clear this was a mistake. Uh, and uh, but the government allowed that to happen. The government also stopped the Reserve Bank, at least initially, from bringing in a debt-to-income uh, limit tool. Uh, it now has said they can have a look at it and consult on it, but hasn't given a final okay to it. So the government is not pulling all the levers when it comes to the Reserve Bank. Now, the government would say, oh, but we told the, go- the Reserve Bank late last year to take house prices into account when setting monetary policy. In fact, the initial comments were the Reserve Bank had to take house price affordability into account when setting monetary policy. Just quietly, there was a rejig behind the scenes, which meant that that wording changed from affordability to sustainability, which is a slightly different thing. You can have unaffordable houses that are sustainably unaffordable, i.e. they're very, very high, and in the long run, are out of whack with price-to-income multiples. Um, But if you have uh, a massive tax advantage for property, a lack of new supply coming onto the market and relatively high net migration, then um, the Reserve Bank has said that house prices are sustainable even if they're unaffordable. So the government has not pulled that lever either. Then you have to look at what the government has said itself about house prices and what it would do um, to 
improve affordability. Firstly, it has not set what it thinks affordable housing should be or made any commitment to get house prices and rents back down to those affordable levels. Uh, you may think they've done that, and uh, the Prime Minister said yesterday that her ambition was to ensure that all New Zealanders lived in safe, warm, secure and affordable houses. But uh, if that was the case, the government would set a target or at least give some idea of what it thought that ambition meant and then change policies to achieve that. But it hasn't said what its target is because it knows that if house prices and rents were to get back to proper levels of affordability, which most people overseas and many people here think should be around three to five times income, then it would need to essentially allow house prices to at least halve immediately or for incomes to double immediately. Or it has to accept that affordability is going, unaffordability is going to be there for many, many years. In fact, ANZ put out research last week showing that if incomes rose around 4 to 5%, which is broadly what is expected, and house prices kept rising at 4 to 5%, then it would take anywhere up to 40 years for affordability to be returned, not back to where it should be, 3 to 5 but back to where it was in 2017 when the Prime Minister was elected. Realistically, to get back to that three to five house price to income multiple, which previous housing ministers have talked about, and which at various times have actually been written into legislation, to get back to there with the government's current strategy, which is based on what it says are sustainable house price inflation levels of 4% per year, would take over 100 years. So the Prime Minister is saying she, her ambition is to get to affordable housing, but what she's not saying, the brackets afterwards, is sometime within 100 years. So that's um, part of the reason why I'm saying that not all the levers are being pulled and the government is not treating this situation as a catastrophe or a crisis. To give you an idea of what a government would do if it did treat it as a catastrophe and a crisis that needed immediate major action, she only needs to look back to the first Labour government in 1935, which borrowed directly from the Reserve Bank, freshly printed money, to start the State House building program. Now, no one, not many are suggesting that the government should do that now. In fact, it doesn't need to because we have a liquid and active uh, bond market. The government could borrow money from um, investors and banks. The Reserve Bank could continue to effectively buy bonds from that same market in the secondary market. And um, the costs of that would be relatively low. In fact, as I show in the Dawn Chorus this morning, the government's borrowing costs are now less than 1% of GDP and project projected to stay that way, even though net debt has risen, and that is uh, less than a fifth it of what it was 10 to 20 years ago. Uh, that is because interest rates are low and are expected to stay low. The Part of the problem here is that um, we have legislation, the Public Finance Act, which specifies the government must return its budget to surplus as soon as it can after any crisis, and in the long run aim to reduce government debt doesn't say to where, but it, it's clear from 
previous interpretations, that was around about 20% of net debt. The Labour government, uh, in, or the Labour opposition at the time, 2017, committed to that target of getting net debt down to 20% and running surpluses over the economic cycle, and has remained committed to that. It has given itself a little bit of wiggle room on the net debt line, and actually the Treasury Secretary has suggested giving the government even more wiggle room by saying that uh, it would be sustainable for the government to use its balance sheet to invest in improving uh, well-being um, issues such as climate change and housing affordability. Uh, but so far the government has signalled and acted that it does not want to do that. It does not want to use its balance sheet to help solve this problem. It has regularly in recent months used the framing of keeping a lid on debt in deciding not to do large infrastructure projects and to signal pay restraint in the public sector. So the government has signed up to the um, 30-year project of keeping the size of government low, around about 30% of GDP, and keeping taxes low and not changing um, the tax situation for housing. So it is not pulling all the levers. Just to give you a sense of uh, what else it could do uh, if it was serious about dealing with this crisis, well, it wouldn't be forecasting a fall in capital investment over the next five years. Uh, it's clear the government has increased the level of government investment in infrastructure from around about uh, four to six billion under the previous government to around about eight to ten billion over the next uh, five years or so. But actually, from 2022 onwards, investment in infrastructure by the government falls from 16 billion to 8 billion. That's the current forecast. So um, when the government says it's pulling all the levers on capital spending and throws out a big number like 48 billion or whatever, that is just the collation of all the spending that it's doing over the next four years, which relative to the size of the infrastructure deficit we, has, we have is significantly less than what is needed. And just finally, when the government says it's pulling all the levers, to um, reduce house price inflation and um, and deal with affordability, it really isn't touching the two elephants in the room. One is that it has repeatedly said, and the Prime Minister has repeatedly said, she does not want house prices to fall. And once they rise, they can't fall again because her role is to protect the investments of uh, people who, who own houses. So she's ruled out any real attempt to get to affordability by ruling out house price and rent uh, increase, uh, uh, decreases. And the government proved that it would act to ensure the housing market didn't fall with its actions in March last year by printing money and removing restrictions on lending. And of course, on the migration front, the government has, in theory, signalled a tightening of migration settings. And it's clear that high net migration over the last 20 years has played a role in pumping up house prices in conjunction with lower interest rates, restrictions on housing supply, and of course the fundamental tax advantage of uh, owning a home. But the government is actually in, in action, in reality, is not tightening migration settings. It may appear that way uh, because you hear a lot about uh, employee employers not being able to get the foreign workers that they want. And that's certainly the case at the moment uh, because of COVID, because we have a lack of MIQ spaces. But repeatedly, the government has 
dial back its rhetoric on tightening migration settings by actually loosening them whenever it has um, been put under pressure by the business sector. So if you want an example of that, first uh, three years of the current government from 2017 to 2020 saw a massive increase in the number of temporary work visas issued, the arrival of students and backpackers able to work on their visas. In fact, just before COVID, it hit a record high. Um, there are close, there were at COVID close to 300,000 people here on temporary work visas. Uh, it has um, effectively covered up this um, big increase in the population from migration by um, saying that people um, are not given residency, which of course doesn't uh, prevent or doesn't stop the fact that people are actually here um, consuming housing and um, congesting and doing lots of work, not to mention paying GST and income tax. So the government's not pulling all the levers on migration. It's not pulling all the levers on infrastructure. It's not pulling all the levers on taxes. It's not pulling all the levers on uh, house price expectations. And it's not pulling all the levers on reserve bank action. That's my view on uh, what the government has said about the Human Rights Commission inquiry into the clear breaches of human rights by both forms of government over the last 30 years. Just briefly, elsewhere in the news, um, things to keep an eye on. Uh, China has, has now got significant delta outbreaks in dozens of cities. This is worth keeping an eye on because, of course, if China goes into lockdown, as it did relatively briefly early last year, that signals a significant slowdown in the world's most important economy for us because, obviously, it's our largest, largest trading partner and Australia's largest trading partner. Also, uh, keep an eye out for the Reserve Bank of Australia, which is expected to loosen monetary policy around 4.30pm today, our time. That's because the Australian economy uh, is suffering from these Delta lockdowns. It's expected to see about $12 billion in GDP reduction in the September quarter. Uh, and most economists are expecting the Reserve Bank to reverse its previously indicated tightening of policy. Previously, the Reserve Bank of Australia had said it would cut back its bond buying from $5 billion a week to $4 billion a week. And now people are saying that's going to be reversed when the Reserve Bank makes its August decision today. In fact, some economists are, act are actually predicting the Reserve Bank of Australia will look to increase its money printing from uh, previously $5 billion to a new figure high of $6 billion. Meanwhile, though, plenty of economists here calling for our Reserve Bank to uh, increase interest rates in a couple of weeks' time because they're worried about inflation. We'll find out just whether they should be too worried about wage inflation in particular tomorrow when StatsNZ puts out numbers for the June quarter which currently are expected to show wage inflation of 2%, which doesn't sound too shocking and inflationary to me. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a slightly extended uh, dawn chorus this morning in which I have questioned the government's claim of pulling all the levers on a housing crisis, which in my view is actually a catastrophe. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a dawn chorus on the Kaka on Tuesday, August the 3rd.